Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hello, folks. Before we begin tonight, I hope that after you spend some time with me, that you be sure to check out the other podcasts on the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Don't miss the latest episode of Horror Hill with Eric Peabody, airing on Thursdays. And of course, don't forget Drew Blood's Dark Tales, Fear from the Heartland with Paul J. McSorley, and of course, Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. You can find them all at the simplyscarypodcast.com network on YouTube or your favorite podcasting service. Or be sure to visit the chillingtalesfordarknights.com website and become a patron and hear extended episodes from our vast audio archive. Join us for a while, won't you? <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre. And I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 12, Episode 20. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Dale Thompson. Tonight, 
we'll hear stories of uninvited lawn guests, tasteful towns with tawdry tenants, treasure hunts with terrible secrets, bumbling capers with ghastly consequences. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Your house is your home, a place of safety, relaxation, and comfort. The issue becomes when that safety is interrupted, not by an intruder, exactly. An intruder comes into the house, but what about someone who is just there, watching, waiting, and there's nothing you can do? Without further ado, I present to you, The Lurker. How long had the dark figure been standing there? Standing there, overtly lurking. I could see the ossified figure in plain sight, motionless, just staring up to the second floor window where I was peering from. Who could it be? Why were they here? My skin crawled with nerves on edge. My yard was lit by moonlight and the orb illuminated the figure with a haunting backlight. The hooded figure was alone. I was alone. A terrifying thought occurred to me. No, it was an unsettling question that came to mind. Had I locked the doors and secured the windows before taking my shower? I was convinced, I definitely had, but better be safe than sorry. I talked myself into going downstairs to double check. I was dreading to descend to the bottom floor. I'd have to take my eyes off the figure in the yard, only long enough to do my security checks. Once on the ground floor, I found everything was secure downstairs, which satisfied me immensely. I had recently seen on the evening news about an incident happening at the park where a pervert was spying on people. A 40-year-old man had been caught near the woman's toilets, behaving unseemly. This man was originally reported to have been doing lewd acts and acting inappropriately behind some bushes before being arrested. I'm always reading about some disgusting person being disgraceful and obscene in our city. I simply don't have the time to consider such things. And now, someone of questionable character was lurking on my own lawn. I don't like phoning the police because they can make a ridiculous fiasco out of it. Maybe the guy out there had an impeccant name, a fleckless reputation, and a noble character. How would I know that with him just dumbly standing there in the cold night air? Although the temptation to look out of the downstairs windows into the yard presented itself to me, I dared not look from the downstairs windows for fear the dark figure might be at the window, 
Something told me that would be too close. If I saw such a thing, I would undeniably die on the spot of a heart attack. I made my way back upstairs and peeked from the same window. The figure appeared to have moved closer to the house. At great concerns this might happen. I never saw it move, but I swore it was closer than before. What could it want? No rational person would dress this way, cloaked in black with a hood. It was nowhere near Halloween. So why the costume? Why the sinister get-up? I looked at the time. It was 11.50 p.m. The hour is late. Most everyone should have already been asleep, or at least in bed and settled for the night. Maybe this person outside had no home. Possibly they were homeless. I can't take in anyone. I barely take care of myself these days. I'd been exhausted when I came to the bedroom to shower, but now I was wide awake, fatigued, suspicious, and afraid. I persisted in watching the figure nervously and comfortably, not knowing if it saw me looking down at it. Of course, decidedly, it could see me. It was looking right at me, I assumed, but strangely, I never saw its eyes. What sort of person dresses in such a manner and then stands on someone's lawn and stares? This had to be a children's prank of some sort. I questioned myself. Who did I know that was capable of such a practical joke? Lewis always thought of himself as a funny guy. He was more annoying than humorous, but I doubt if he would pull a stunt such as this. Lewis had a family now, responsibilities, and a solid job. I seriously doubted if this old-school buddy of mine would risk an altercation or worse police arrest to pull something off like this. I had no enemies, no one who might have a vendetta or a score to settle. I lived mostly, peaceably, among everyone in the community. I could not think of a single soul who might want to intimidate or frighten me. It was nearing midnight, and there was a ghoul on my lawn. Strangeness began to weigh on me. I had assumed, as soon as the figures saw me from the window, that they would run away and hide, and that would be it. But no, the figures seemed to be coming closer to the house. It wasn't skulking, and it wasn't threatening me. It was lurking. Maybe if I turned on the bedroom light and showed that, that I knew it was there, that would be the deterrent needed for ridding it from my property. I walked across the room and flicked the light switch on. The room lit up, and I ran back to the window to have another look. The figure was even closer than before, and now, with its draped arm, it was pointing, with a gray hand, directly at my window. I was losing my justification for staying in the house. Was I truly safe from whatever the thing was on my lawn? In all reality, how would I know what its intentions were? Maybe it meant no ill will at all. Maybe it did. Why should I presume the worst when I had not been threatened? Yes, the figure was intimidating. But was that my own macabre imagination running away with itself? 
I realized this notion of having the bedroom light burning was a mistake. It was not a good idea at all. I went straight back and flicked off the light. I partially pulled the curtains closed, but left a tiny slit so I could still see out onto the lawn. This would have been a good time to have powerfully bright security lights on this side of the house. I'll have them installed first thing tomorrow, I thought to myself. This was not the night I had prescribed for myself. I languished over the sound sleep I should be getting by this time of night. However, I was not at all tired nor prepared for slumber. I was the type who could go to bed with a book, read two pages, and be fast asleep within minutes. There would be nothing as idealistic as this fleeting thought. Sensible, yes. I must be sensible. Why not open the window and address the figure? It was still stoically stationary, like a fence post. It postured erect, unmoving, not swaying, and there was no condensation coming from its breathing. It was not warm outside, as a matter of fact. The night was chilly. Should I make contact with whoever it is? I could be overthinking the situation, overcomplicating what may not be as strange as I have imagined it to be. Such ruminations can lead to fanciful illusions. It was not out of the question to believe that maybe my imagination was getting away from me. I had to man up and deal with it. This lurker did not appear to be leaving any time soon. How would I address it? I could yell, Get off my lawn, weirdo! Now that'd be too harsh. I needed to be courteous and polite. Possibly the person has a learning disability, or it had been in an accident and bumped their head. Can I help you with something? No, that was an invitation to engage personally. I thought it would be best not to ask it any questions. I needed to address it, but I needed to be smart to say the right thing to drive it off my lawn without insult or threats. Thus far, there was nothing to suggest I was in mortal danger. Would this figure have already tried to get into the house if it wanted in? I mean, how hard is it really to break into a house with as many windows as this house has? I'd never broken into a house before, but I could imagine that it's no trouble at all. I had no security system installed, no dog, no extra locks on the doors and windows. My home was a two-story house with no type of security measures at all. Maybe I should arm myself. But with what? I had no gun, pepper spray, taser, nothing that modern. I didn't even own a baseball bat. I suppose I could retrieve a butcher's knife from the kitchen. Honestly, stab or cut another person? The thought of having to defend myself with violence sickened me. I was getting all worked up, most likely for absolutely nothing. If the person outside was going to make a move, would they not have already done so? Of course they would have. The way they're going about it is no surprise home invasion. They're clearly not afraid of being seen. That's what I'll do. I'll get my phone, take a picture of the person just to show them I have proof that they were here being menacing. 
I do not believe in monsters, ghosts, or anything phantasmagorical. I knew there were no such things as aliens visiting from other planets, nor right-wing conspiracy theories. I gave no credence to any of these things, other than made-up stories, allegories from the vivid creative mind of dreamers, and high fiction induced with illusion. I took another look from my vantage point, and again, the dark figure was closer than before, mimicking itself in all stillness with one bony gray finger, which I could see more clearly now, pointing directly at me. It didn't appear that the head was raised. I had no way of knowing if this possible revenant was looking at me or not. I was feeling stung by fright. I quickly took several photos in succession. Since they failed to move at all, all of the photos would be identical. An emotion of impending doom rose from deep inside me. I felt my face flush red as my iambic tetrameter heart thumped to the hymn of death. This uncouth stalker seemed to be projecting its presence upon me from below. This could not be possible. I decided to turn off the bedroom light and take a couple more pictures, but this time, to get a good clear picture... I decided to be brave enough to open the window. The lurker remained motionless as I stood in my dark bedroom window, flung open, cold wind freezing me to the bone. My hands became cold and jittery. I took several more pictures, hoping it would look up at me. Unexpectedly, with a backdrop of dull gray groom behind it, the figure raised its head quickly and brought it back down in a bow position. In the freakish instance, I was so startled by seeing it move that I fumbled the phone in my hands, and, like a football player trying to catch a fingertip pass, I clumsily and carelessly let the phone slip from my hands. My world slowed down as if time had framed this awkward picture of me, stretching with great effort out the window, trying to lay my hands back on the phone, which held the only evidence of the lurker's existence. During my moment of inept inelegance, the lurker did not even twitch. Bone fell through space and as well have dropped into a black hole, because for me, that was the distance between inside my house and the outside world right now. I let out several expletives and jumped up and down like a child kicking the dresser and stubbing my big toe. Now, bouncing around the room on one foot while nursing my surely swollen big toe, the lurker had to be amused at my negligence. How could I have been so careless? What a freaking joke. Oh, I imagined the lurker was celebrating a victory, and this angered me. I know accidents happened, but the phone was my evidence, my lifeline. Now I couldn't even call for help. Limping to the open window, it did not collect my phone, but it was a few steps closer and remained faceless. In my frustration and idiocy, I addressed the person. What do you want? I was given no answer. I yelled this time. Why are you just standing there? Again, I was not rewarded with a response. I slammed the window shut and locked the cold air as well as the lurker out. 
I walked over and sat on the side of the bed to examine my toe in the dark. It was sore and throbbed. I imagined I had broken it on the dresser. After the examination, I made my way back to the window and peeked out. He, she, it, whatever the thing was, it certainly was not here to deliver good news. I was suddenly impelled with surprise, practically pummeled by a strange alarm. I felt the need to run away. I was driven to flee the premises. I took another glance out of the window and saw that my stress was warranted as the nameless thing was at my downstairs front door. Driven by adrenaline and terror, yes, I was being terrorized, I went at breakneck speed down the stairs as loud as a herd of buffalo, forgetting about my broken toe to the first floor. I made my way in the dark to the kitchen, which was on the back side of the house. I looked through the window of the door, and the backyard looked clear. There was no evil presence lurking that I could see. I saw nothing but the six-foot wooden fence I'd have to scale if I were to make a clean escape. In my panic, I'd forgotten to put on my shoes or even pajama pants. I cursed to myself. I was too modest to venture out half-naked. That would mean taking more time to climb the stairs and dress appropriately for the cool air of the night. I cursed again and started for the stairs. My toe throbbed, reminding me it was most definitely broken. I dared not look at the front door because I knew what lurked behind it was unimaginable. I shot up the stair like a gazelle, ignoring the pain, bounding two steps at a time. When I reached the top, there it stood, every bit of seven feet tall. A dark, cloaked figure with a face too deep to read. Distraught in the gloom of hysteria, my breath became gasps. I could taste the duress of wormwood in my mouth. The malodorous stench of Gehenna filled my nostrils like burning sulfur. I heard the stridulation of wings roaring in my head, the chartless direction of my own soul, empty, lost, vanquished as I fell headlong down the stairs, breaking my cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord, and leaving me dead at the foot of the stairs. How was I dead? and still saw the cloaked murderer gliding down the steps and hovering over me. The cloaked lurker swelled its chest and spread its arms wide, revealing an impressive black wingspan. I could only believe this was the notorious myth folktales called Mothman. This flying humanoid creature was the most imposing thing I had ever laid eyes on. Not only was my body broken and torn, my emotions seemed to be absent as well, for I felt no trepidation or fear. I only felt helpless. Its red eyes were merciless and examined me as if I was going to be butchered like a pig and devoured. I suppose this was when I passed out. Darkness overtook me, and I drifted without any power of my own. Or was I being carried? I didn't know. I did get the chilling impression I was outside for the cold, nipped at my exposed body. My eyes opened. I was standing. There was no lurker anywhere around. It had vanished, disappeared, 
flown away silently, leaving me alone. There I stood in the backyard of a house of someone I didn't know. I was cloaked in black, soulless, emotionless, distant from who I was. It was cold, hollow, asphyxiated, without a single human sense. I'd been swallowed by the void to the dark womb of all abominations. The throb of life was absent. The pulse of warm blood had been drained. Hell had planted me firmly here. Without essence, devoid of soul, all hope abandoned, disbelief stripped me of every resistance. I was staring up at the second floor window, where a light had just been turned on. I saw someone come to the window. It was a man. He looked worried. He looked like me. How long had I been standing here? I hope you enjoyed The Lurker by Dale Thompson, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Thompson. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. The train coming up with his sinister stories of the unknown. Be sure to stop by and see his other output on the Dale Thompson YouTube channel. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave him a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that me, Otis, sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Well, I suppose it's nice to see things from the other perspective, right? At least now he doesn't have to worry about who's on the lawn now. Or ever again. But maybe things will be better for our next travelers. They're heading out of the city looking for a simpler life. Thing is, when they find it, will it be all it's cracked up to be? Without further ado, I present to you a train to catch. Jeff and Nancy Salisbury had been married for 12 years. They were successful, not young, not old, but were now semi-retired. Their life together had almost been two separate lives until they decided enough was enough. Enough of city living, city, commuting, city noise. 
city congestion, and all of the other nuances city life brings. They had loved the hustle and bustle in the beginning, but the more demands their jobs had placed on them with deadlines, overtime, bringing work home, less time they had for one another. And they were simply fed up. They had saved their money, and this little nest egg was going to give them the freedom to explore the things a day job would never allow. It was time to take a drive, a long drive westward, and see for themselves how the other half of humanity lived, and if living far away from the metropolis was what they really wanted. Yes, at first it was just a dream they both shared, even spoke about over dinner, but now they were making it a reality. The car was loaded with the essentials for a very long drive. They had hired a young girl who was on her summer holidays to house-sit for them while they were off, hopefully to find themselves a new life, one they could share together instead of coexisting on the same planet with one another. I cannot believe we are really doing this, Nancy said excitedly. Jeff gave her a look of bold confidence and replied, We should have done this long ago. You know we had the finances a couple of years ago. Then I took that promotion, which practically gave me a stroke. I know, dear. Too many hours at the office. I admit I was lonely. I was tired of eating alone and only seeing you after I'd gotten ready for bed. Nancy put her hand on Jeff's leg. Well, no more late hours at the grind for me, and you're free from that infernal idiot boss at the insurance company. I wanted to punch that woman every time you told me how she treated you. Jeff tightened his hand on the steering wheel just thinking about it. I put up with a lot from that place, but let's not start our trip looking back. Let's talk about where we're going, what we're going to do, and leave our troubles behind. Nancy took a breath and sighed as if the weight of the world she had carried simply just blew away. The Salisburys were starting over, getting a fresh start. It was a second honeymoon for them. They had no planned destination. They were just driving, and if they saw what they were looking for, they would know it. Jeff was anxious to settle elsewhere, so he could write a book he'd outlined about a year ago. Nancy had read through it and agreed it would be an incredible thriller. Jeff had wished he had pursued journalism and literature, but his career put him near the top at a prestigious law firm. Practicing law daily, he hardly had time to draw inspiration from his imagination, and even less time then to put it on paper. Nancy's only desire was an old-fashioned one, she wanted to support Jeff in any and all of his new adventures. She wasn't interested in starting a new career. She thought maybe some gardening, raise flowers, even grow their own food. It sounded romantic, like the perfect life. We're going to have to stop for gas soon, Jeff indicated. Well, that's good. I've been holding my bladder for the last hundred miles, Nancy agreed. Where are we anyways? Sort of zoned out about 15 minutes ago, she asked, sitting up taller in her seat and readjusting her shoulder strap. Jeff had lost his bearings. You know, I did too. I thought there was supposed to be a turnoff ahead, but maybe I missed it. I don't have any cell phone service. 
We must be way out of the city now, Nancy groaned. Hey, wait, there's a sign, Jeff pointed as they approached the road sign. The sign indicated food, gas, and lodging ahead. Well, we're cutting it close. The old fuel gauge must be sucking fumes. They laughed and followed the turnoff. A meager sign read Ravenwood and had an arrow pointing straight ahead. The area was forested with dense brush and formidable trees. The Salisbury's motored down what appeared to be a narrow lane for approximately a mile when a quaint little village came into view. How delightful, Nancy remarked. The picturesque village looked as though it was frozen in time, a nucleated village style with railroad tracks running along the backside of the buildings. Its old-fashioned shops had a turn-of-century look to them. The place could have been a Norman Rockwell painting. Would you get a load of this? Jeff pointed out, referring to the backward way a couple was dressed. They, too, fit the scene as if within the same painting. It must be a tourist town, you know, built to give visitors a sense of going back in time. Jeff pulled up alongside the Branwell soda shop, and he and Nancy stepped out of the car. Do you smell that? Nancy asked. Jeff tilted his head back just a little and took a breath. I don't smell anything. No pollution. Nancy gave him the answer. No exhaust fumes, no whiffs of sewer, no stale grime. We're as far removed from our old lives as we could be, Nancy exclaimed with a wide, closed-mouthed smile. The village was small enough to see from one end of it to the other. At the far end of town, just past the last row of shops, were several Victorian-style houses all perfectly in a row. Four-story clock tower was in the center of the village, and the time seemed to be incorrect. The hands of the clock read 11:11, but that didn't make sense. Salisbury's knew, according to their watches, it was 5 p.m. They assumed the clock was broken and paid it no more mind for the moment. I could use something to drink. Nancy was feeling parched. Jeff agreed, and the couple entered Barnwell's soda shop, which they also found out was the town's drugstore as well. The young man behind the counter was playing the part, Jeff thought. He looked just like one might imagine from a forgotten time, lost in the annals of time. Tell me, son, do you know where I might get some gasoline? Jeff asked as he looked over the menu board of drinks behind the counter. Gasoline? You folks must not be from around here. The boy seems suspicious, uptight, excitable. You won't find any gasoline here in Ravenworth. Everyone takes the train. Train, you say? Yes, sir. It comes by every so often. Not really on a schedule. But folks here know when it's coming. Stumped, Jeff looked at Nancy, raised his eyebrows, and asked the boy, Where does the train take everyone? Not far, I suspect. I've never been on it. Jeff and Nancy both had a sense of unease, but they ordered sodas and made their way toward the door leading onto the sidewalk. Before exiting, Jeff caught sight of a newspaper on the counter. The masthead read, The Ravenworth Gazette. The feature headline read, Europe, building for revelation. In a column to the side of that story, which seemed to run the length of the paper, another piece appeared and was called, 
Japan opens its borders. These stories are ancient, Jeff sounded surprised. Nancy took a quick read. It is part of their nostalgia, Jeff. You know, they want everything to be and feel authentic. They've done a bang-up job, Jeff remarked. When the Salisbury's returned outside, they noticed, peculiarly and suddenly, the village was busy with people strolling along. When they had first arrived, the village looked practically empty. Another strange thing, Jeff pointed out to Nancy, was although it was late in the day, the sun seemed to be in a morning position. Jeff tried not to overthink. What really unsettled him was the uninhibited distance in the eyes of those who walked by them, merely nodding graciously, as if afraid to break character. They looked through him, beyond him, but never at him. A booming voice broke the reverie for the moment. Hello, good folks. Allow me to introduce myself. Jeff and Nancy spun around to see a staid yet short man facing them and extended at a whopping smile on his glowing face. Jeff dutifully engaged and shook the man's hand, who nodded his head toward Nancy in a more distant welcome. My name's Hieronymus Van Aken, or as folks around here call me, Mr. Mayor. Jeff and Nancy Salisbury, Jeff introduced themselves. Let me guess. You were passing through, looking for a cozy little village to spend the night in, the mayor presumed. Well, not exactly, Jeff attempted to correct the assumption. We were looking for a gas station. Oh, just passing through, huh? The best bet is the train. Respectively, we don't have any fueling station here. How far is the next town? Nancy asked, standing very close to Jeff and taking his arm at the elbow. Oh, long ways. If you're empty, you'll never make it. You'll end up stranded somewhere between here and there, and these roads are barren with traffic at night. You really don't want to get caught out in these parts. Sometimes it just ain't safe. The mayor said, still grinning like a Cheshire cat. As inconvenient as it may sound, I reckon you folks get yourselves a room at the hotel. They'll treat you right. In the morning I can catch the train with you at Gateshead, and they'll be able to accommodate you with some gas to get you on the road again. The mayor beamed with credibility. Is that the best we can do? Jeff asked. Sorry to disappoint you good folks, but that's all there is. As vexing as it was, Salisbury's had no choice, so they followed the mayor to the hotel. On the way, Nancy noticed an unassuming little girl in a white dress who seemed to be following them at a distance. Nancy also took a mental note. She had seen no more children on the street. She brushed it off, thinking, since the village was staged for tourists, or seemed to be anyways, maybe children weren't part of the theme they were selling. The hotel was not a surprise, other than the magically interesting frontispiece. The design was practically carnival-like, yet had to be one of a kind. It fell into the same era as the rest of the town. The attention to detail to represent this forgotten era in U.S. history was marvelous, Jeff mentally noted. The portrait of the mayor adorned the lobby wall at reception, which was much to do about nothing, Jeff thought. Someone really knew their late 19th century stuff, 
He convinced himself that, obviously, they must buy their relics and antiques from the same place Cracker Barrel got their wall hangings. The room was innovative as well. Two single-spring beds with metal headrests. In the corner was a coal-burning stove with a large bucket full of cobbles of coal. The wooden floor was covered in several non-matching rag rugs, and they soon found out there was no ensuite, just something the young man who showed them the room called an earth closet or chamber pot. Jeff thought these backward people were the type that knew nothing but feared everything. After the boy exited the room, Nancy became somewhat emotional. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. What's the matter? Jeff put his arms around her. He could feel her shivering. Are you cold? No, just a little unnerved. This place, with all its pleasantries and cuteness, is beginning to give me the creeps. Jeff agreed, looking at the primitive gazunder, which he knew they would have to humiliatingly use before the night was over. A knock rattled the hinges on the door. This startled Nancy more than Jeff. Jeff answered it, and there stood a solemn-looking man whose face could only be described as mortician wax. He was tall and thin, his skin blanched as sickly as a hospice patient. Good evening, good people. My name is D'Angelo. Mayor Hieronymus Van Aken has invited you to dinner. Jeff checked time. I guess it is dinner time. He and Nancy accepted the invitation. D'Angelo led him downstairs out of the hotel and down the street for about a block. They went left down a side street, not much larger than an alley, passed by a standing box phone booth, to which Nancy remarked, I haven't seen one of those in ages. Two buildings down, there was the mayor's three-story house, complete with a large wraparound porch. The mayor was waiting in a rocking chair, and greeted them with a controlled, enigmatic smile, as if he had a lot to say but wasn't going to say it. Dinner will be on the table shortly. The mayor leaned forward. Have a seat. Tell me about yourselves. Well, we don't have a lot to tell. We were hoping to start over again somewhere like this. We're done with city life. Nancy revealed. Rusticated living, huh? I don't blame you. The inventions of today, the world is getting smaller. We like our peace and tranquility out here, said the mayor. I noticed you don't have a church in town. Normally, I thought the smaller towns centered around the church. Jeff waited for a response. Well, church burned down some years ago. The preacher, he up and left, and there wasn't enough folk interested in a rebuild. We found it to be a bit stuffy at times. We have a meeting hall where we gather as a community to have some fellowship, but nothing like we had before, and we're better off for it. The mayor's words swelled louder at the end. Nancy had been looking around, taking in the surroundings, when she caught a glimpse of the same little girl in the white dress who had followed them mysteriously earlier. When the blonde-headed girl saw she had been spotted, she ducked behind the corner of the house. Mayor, who is that little girl? Nancy was waiting to see if the girl would poke her head out from around the corner, but she didn't show herself. What little girl? The mayor bobbed and weaved his head as if he were looking. 
but Jeff felt it might have been bad acting. We don't have no children here at Ravenworth. We're an adult village. I'd say the youngest person among us is 40 years of age. I swear I saw a little girl. I saw her earlier today. Nancy was adamant. Are you sure? Jeff asked. Very sure. She was standing just right over there, Nancy pointed. The mayor stood up and called for someone in the house named Charles. Charles must have been like a caretaker, all assumed. Charles, our guests here believe she saw a girl over there. Would you mind easing our concerns and take a look? Without a word, the amiable Charles did as he was asked. Charles is shy, the mayor mentioned. Don't let his awkward abstention make you folks uncomfortable. Dinner served. A voice came from inside the house. Let's let Charles do the investigating and we should eat while it's hot. The mayor led the way and into the house they went. The interior was very old-fashioned and reflected the look of the rest of the village. However, things did not look rustic or as if they were hundreds of years old. Almost everything looked immaculately refurbished. The dinner spread was a feast. There were meats, bread, fresh vegetables, juices, and iced tea. I just love your little village. How do you manage to keep it so authentic? Nancy's question seemed to have mystified the mayor as if he didn't know what she meant. Oh, well, we all chip in and do our part. We're not so open to what we consider to be of the outside world. There are far too many negative influences sweeping the country. We prefer the simple life. If you folks are looking for a place to plant some roots, this might be the place for you. The mayor reached across the table to secure himself another piece of fried chicken. Do you have houses available here for sale? We always have something for sale, the mayor chuckled, his insatiable appetite on display. Most people don't become acclimated to our way of living at first, but over time they see we have nothing to hide. What you see is what you get. Villages like ours are becoming extinct, houses turning into hovels and such. The value of our town is its people, its profundity. If I were you, I'd stay a while. We never know when a train is going to roll into town save any predeterminations until you have a chance to meet the village folk. Charles, entering the dining area, went to the mayor's side. He whispered in his ear, and the mayor nodded. Charles has just informed me that the little girl you saw, Magdala, was in fact from a couple passing through like yourself. I guess they'd been getting supplies in the village, and she went on a wander. You know how kids are. Wait, Jeff said. I mean, there was a family here with a child and a car, and we were looking to get gas, and you didn't say anything to them? We could have hitched a ride with them. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Oh, I thought about that, Jeff. But you see, their car was filled to the brim. They had no room, not even for one person. Additionally, if you are genuinely traveling to find you and the missus a new life, I wouldn't want you to get away. The mayor smiled, showing his teeth and holding the smile unusually long. Jeff was becoming more apprehensive as the evening wore on. After a delicious apple pie dessert topped with some aromatic coffee, they retired to the front porch again as night was falling. Now, I want you folks to get comfortable. I have a meeting to attend to tonight. Y'all turn in early. I want to give you the grand tour tomorrow, if you would permit me. The mayor stood and extended his hand. Both Nancy and Jeff gave it a shake, and dinner was ended. Back at the hotel, the Salisbury's wrestled with getting a fire lit in the stove, but eventually achieved the feat. They were not looking forward to using the chamber pot, but if necessity called, they had no choice. I find this place strange, Jeff mentioned. I agree, but they're friendly enough, Nancy concurred. The two then discussed the oddities they'd already been exposed to. There was the unexplainable little girl. Neither bought the mayor's account of a family passing through, with no room in their vehicle. There was the newspaper, the stiff village folk looking at them strangely. There were no cars anywhere. The church was missing were all red flags to them. There was nowhere they could go. They were firmly stuck in the village, at least until morning. The village was surrounded by woodlands and with a small river on one side, and a train track on the other. It was as if they were boxed in. They'd locked the hotel door, even pushed the dresser and a portamento against it in case any unwelcome guest tried to get in. Later, as night set in, the Salisbury's resolved to go to bed. They were fast asleep when something woke the two of them at exactly the same time. They sat bolt upright with the utmost anxiety of unknown dread permeating every cell in their bodies. What was that? Did you hear it? 
Jeff asked. The sound occurred again. What in heaven's name? Something sounded like something hitting the room's only window. Jeff dispelled the tangible mystery of the sounds when he peered from the window to the street to see, the, for the first time, the little blonde girl, Magdala. The vexatious child stood in the street with a tragic expression, with pleading eyes of desperation. In the first place, he couldn't begin to speculate as to what this girl wanted. Moreover, it tore a hole in the mayor's account of her and her family, conveniently leaving the village. Jeff practically had an unannounced cardiac spasm as to what the implications might be. The girl was looking around nervously and waving her arm as if she wanted Jeff to come down. Nothing was adding up, and once he adumbrated to Nancy uh, what was happening in the street, both agreed they ought to head down and ask the girl if she was in some sort of trouble. They quickly got dressed and made their way downstairs, past where the hotel clerk station was unattended, and out into the street. Magdala was still there and ran to them as if urgency was of the utmost importance. She said in a soft whisper, "'Until the last of us are gone.' Her words gave Nancy a vulgar scare. "'What are you saying? "'What does it even mean? "'What are you saying?' Nancy leaned over the little girl and she spoke again. "'Devoted to the cause.' Was she figuratively speaking, warning them? "'What did she mean?' With a despondent recrudescence, she said, "'Until the last of us are gone.' Having heard this for the second time, it rang in their ears like a death knell. Nancy encouraged her. "'Show us, please. Let us help you.' "'You need help. Devoted to the cause.' The little girl's words were bleak, thanatonic in enunciation. Her tiny whispers fluttered like the panicked wings of a Coroptera order. "'Show us,' Jeff pleaded. Magdala took Nancy's hand and began to lead them off the street and through an alleyway that led to the railway tracks. The girl put her finger to her lips as if to remind them to be quiet. They ended up at the back of what was the meeting hall. It was teeming with activity. The mayor was on a platform addressing about two dozen people which Jeff supposed was the bulk of the village. In an elaborate, pontificating manner, the mayor addressed the villagers. My fellow residents, we've had additions to our numbers today. This is a blessing, not a curse, which means two of us can now move on. I'm old. I'm tired. To be truthful, I'm worn out. My hair is thin. It's silver. My bones ache, especially my hips and my feet. Look at these lines around my face. This was who I was, who I'm frozen in time to be. My skin is saggy, my belly round, and I've moved aside time after time for others to leave. This is my time. As your mayor, I'll be resigning once the train arrives, and Charles, my devoted friend since the accident, and I will be getting on the train. You'll have to elect a new mayor after I'm gone. After some commotion ensued, and people were talking over one another. Conversation became indistinct and undeciphered, but the little girl tugged on Nancy's arm and said, 
You must go now. Her voice was commiseratingly sad. Go where? We have no transportation, Jeff argued. The little girl practically dragged Nancy by the arm. She led them away from the community center and toward the road that they'd traveled in on. We are in the middle of nowhere. How are we going to get away, Jeff asked. I remember seeing a phone booth. Can we use it to call for help? Nancy's eyes said it all. A fear of the unknown. Magdala shook her head no. Does not work. Unexpectedly, the girl fell into a trance state. Jeff caught her before she hit the ground. Words were spilling from her mouth like a possessed oracle. It will come when it comes. Train is coming. Change is coming. Interceptive words were being said. Phrases recited and a warning issued. They're coming. Run! Inexplicably, Jeff's heart sank. We have to take it with us. Nancy firmly said, We can't, Nancy. She'll slow us up. We'll get help and come back for her, Jeff promised. Voices were coming out of the meeting. Then they heard stirring as if there was copious suspicion building. There was an undistinguishable shout, the sound of people running as if in pursuit. Nancy held the Magdala in her arms. Jeffrey can't leave her. Her pleas fell on deaf ears, consciously or subconsciously. Jeff snatched Nancy by the wrist and yanked her away from the unchastened face. As they made distance between themselves and the girl, Nancy looked back to see the girl seemed to be doubled over in some sort of posture of pain. Nancy could not be consoled. Her heart ached for the little Magdala she barely knew. The footsteps of their pursuers were getting closer. It was impossible to ascertain the distance, but the mob was coming quickly. Jeff's face was stamped with mortal fright, and he struggled to keep Nancy running. Indubitably, this was going to have to play out to the end. There was nowhere to hide, no suitable concealment. This was a race of attrition. Jeff was slowing, using an exorbitant amount of energy, as he languished to keep Nancy on her feet. Jeff and Nancy pushed through the pain, the lack of air, the ambivalence of leaving the girl or facing the mob. They were uncertain as to why they were running, but they assumed the worst and erred on the side of caution. They had run down the road for a good way, sweating bullets and gasping for air. Their lungs felt like they could explode at any minute. All around them was this vague horror something menacing like unseen monsters not visible to the naked eye. Whatever it was had alerted their other senses, like the hair which races up on one's neck when confronted with a suspenseful situation. They feared they would soon be exposed to unimaginable and immeasurable terror in this unfashionable realm of darkness. Their conjoined depression leapt into Stygian depths where all hope is absent. Maybe it was a lack of oxygen to the brain, but the upheaval in their minds gave way to a form of paranoid delirium. They were fearful, yet strangely amused, as endorphins were being released. With contemptuous facetiousness, Jeff balked at the nameless thing. He saw it was now crouched and ready for the kill charge. 
The cacodemons were fixed upon their position, and the end was imminent. They were being pursued by unmitigated determination. Emotionally, Jeff was doing all he could manage to unshackle his bravery and let it loose in a courageous act. He didn't know what was coming, though. Was it going to be in human form? He could maybe win a battle there, but if it were a creature, an Osidax-like bone-crushing prowler or a Kandiro bloodsucker sort, he knew he would not be able to save Nancy nor himself. Nancy was inert, beaten by exhaustion, sitting mentally dormant on a log from a fallen tree. Both of their hearts paused with tightness, then galloped wildly until their lungs folded suffocatingly and then gave way to a rush of respiration. A loudspeaker was heard shouting out to Jeff and Nancy. It sounded close and the voice was the mayor. Tonight is the drawing of life and death. Incredulous terror echoed through the trees. Jeff, Nancy, please listen. It's not too late to requite your very bad decision to run. You are fleeing your salvation. Sharply growing panic, when the glow of torches could be seen through the brush, Jeff looked at Nancy. Nancy looked at Jeff. Dutifully, Jeff said, We've got to. This time Nancy seemed to have gotten her mind settled. She stood and the two began to run again, as fast as they ran through the bush, dodging small limbs and stumbling over underbrush. It seemed impossible, as if the torches were closing in. Real or imagined sounds like wild beasts resonated in an encompassing manner. Other than running blindly into the unknown, now the unimagined was on their trail, pushing away despondent thoughts because it was paramount, they run a little further. Salisbury's ran in mute silence and bright moonlight. Chewed up with abrasions and superficial lacerations, they found themselves in the still quiet of a graveyard containing many gravestones. I don't see the torches, Jeff gasped for air. With her hands resting on her hips, Nancy added, I don't hear them. Their flesh, weak and nauseated, they began to carefully make their way through the place of the dead. They carefully navigated between the headstones. These were old graves, and when Nancy shuddered with an explicit word, Jeff stopped to see what had shaken her so. On the headstone, nearest to him was engraved, Hieronymus Van Aken, born January 1, 1800, died April 3, 1854. The headstone on the grave next to that one read, Charles Powell, born December 14, 1824, died April 3, 1854. They're dead. Jeff muttered this a couple of times, trying to rationalize what he was thinking. Everyone in the village are dead. Nancy's voice quivered, emotionally numb. How is this possible? Was Magdala, the little girl, dead too? Jeff rhetorically asked. What does this mean? Nancy was crying. Jeff held his wife close, relieved and thankful they'd escaped. They were too fatigued to run further. This ambiguous night had been equivocally regrettable. All disquietude had been lifted. They decided to lay right there and sleep. 
The Salisbury's were making good time, but Jeff knew they needed gas and were running on fumes. Where are we, anyways? I zoned out about fifteen minutes ago. Asked Nancy, sitting up taller in her seat and readjusting her shoulder strap. You know, I did too. I thought there was supposed to be a turnoff ahead, but maybe I missed it. Jeff had lost his bearings. I don't have any cell phone service. We must be way out of the city now, Nancy groaned. Nancy groaned as the deer stepped in front of the forest right into their path. The car made impact with the deer, smashing the animal terribly. The body of the deer flew up onto the hood and through the front windshield. The last sounds the Salisbury's heard was the sound of their own screams with the crescendo of glass shattering and tires squealing like wild boar that had just been hit with a hunter's arrow. In the back of the ambulance, paramedics worked on the Salisbury's. There was no sign of life. But Jeff and Nancy could oddly see and hear what was taking place. There was a sense of urgency. One of the paramedics leaned over Jeff. Jeff, in his corpse state, wanted to scream aloud. The paramedic was Mayor Hieronymus Van Aken. The mayor broadly smiled. That is when Jeff saw Charles wearing a paramedic uniform as well. My good friends, we must get you to Ravenworth Village. You're expected. You are the two newest additions to the community. As you may remember, Charles and I have a train to catch. I hope you enjoyed A Train to Catch by Dale Thompson, as performed by yours truly. If you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Thompson. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. This very prolific auteur doesn't just make stories, but music as well, which you can visit on his official YouTube channel. As a reminder, if you decide to give tonight's talented author's stories a read, Please, consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote, and be sure to let them know you heard about them here on this program, and that Otis sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm pretty sure he would very much appreciate it as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard for today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month. 
and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. And you can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs>Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>
you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.